What do recent developments in the aftermath of the George Floyd tragedy mean for the future of police brutality in the United States? Will COVID relief get passed? And in Russia, recent student protests against the government of President Vladimir Putin have disrupted the public. Good morning, and welcome to your weekly political briefing, a podcast discussing current political events here in America and around the world. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd. Mylena, what is going on in regards to the George Floyd situation? In Minneapolis, a federal grand jury has been granted the power to investigate the situation and to possibly indict Derek Chavin. So Andrew, what makes a grand jury different from a trial jury? Unlike trial juries that hear and decide cases, a grand jury is empowered by the law to conduct investigations into potential crimes. Furthermore, grand juries do not decide whether an individual is guilty. Instead, they may indict an individual, which means officially bringing a charge against someone who they consider a potential criminal. But let's discuss the history of this case for our audience. Sure. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, an unarmed African-American man, was accused by a store clerk to have used a counterfeit $20 bill. Four police officers responded to the scene in response to a call made by the clerk. What happened next? Derek Chauvin, one of the police officers, knelt on Floyd's neck for over eight minutes, ultimately leading to Floyd's death. Many activists took to the streets because of the incident, revitalizing the Black Lives Matter movement. The Justice Department has just called new witnesses to testify for its investigation into Derek Chauvin. Chauvin will go on trial in state court next month on a murder charge. The trial and the calling of new witnesses demonstrate the dedication of the Biden administration to this case. While campaigning, President Biden has declared his commitment to racial justice and acknowledged Floyd's death as an injustice. In a speech after Floyd's death, Biden said, quote, The very soul of America is at stake. We must commit as a nation to pursue justice with every ounce of our being. There has been continued unrest in Minneapolis, leading to the National Guard being activated. If Chauvin is indicted, the grand jury will signal a need for police and law enforcement accountability. If not, protests might ensue. I wonder what is in store for Chauvin and the Black Lives Matter movement. Me too. I guess time will tell. But let's turn to the recent vote on Biden's COVID-19 relief plan. On Friday, the U.S. House of Representatives voted on the American Rescue Plan, a proposal by the Biden administration which would provide a $1.9 trillion in funding for COVID relief. The legislation includes funding for unemployment benefits, school reopening, infrastructure, vaccine distribution, a $15 minimum wage proposal, aid to state and local governments, and direct payments of $1,400 to individuals. The major spending has some lawmakers hesitant to support the plan. Yes, all Republicans voted against it, along with two Democrats. So who are these Democrats and were their votes expected? The Democrats who voted against the proposal were Jared Golden of Maine and Kurt Schrader of Oregon. Although the way they voted was not expected, both are moderates who are known for working with Republicans. So, what happens next? Well, the measure is expected to go to the Senate, but will face major hurdles. Like what? Well, in order for the legislation to get passed in the Senate, it must receive 60 votes to overcome the filibuster. The filibuster allows senators to have no time limit on a debate. The only way to overcome it without receiving 60 votes is to go through the budget reconciliation process. The reconciliation process allows the Senate to pass budget bills once every two years with only a simple majority of 51 votes. This allows some bills to be voted on strictly by party line. 
Perhaps the most significant bills passed by this process are the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, and Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But the Senate parliamentarian, who is in charge of interpreting the rules of the chamber, has announced that the reconciliation process cannot apply to this bill because of its $15 minimum wage proposal. So what does this mean for the future of the bill? With all Republicans opposing this bill and moderate Democrats like Joe Manchin opposing the wage increase, this bill is dead on arrival in the Senate. But there are two ways Democrats can move forward. Democrats can either remove the minimum wage proposal and pass the bill via reconciliation or attempt to pass a bipartisan bill. Republicans Peter Meyer of Michigan and Susan Collins of Maine have proposed a plan which would give $2,400 to Americans and include COVID relief funds but no infrastructure funds. However, it appears that Democrats will just use their plan without the wage proposal in order to pass it faster. We will be keeping a close eye on how Senate Democrats plan to move forward. Until we see what they will do, let's turn our attention to what is going on internationally. Well, in Russia, students have taken to the streets to voice their complaints of Vladimir Putin's corrupt government. There have been over 3,000 people arrested in at least 109 cities so far. Mylena, what started these protests? Well, opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been jailed and many of the directors of his regional offices have also been arrested. The protesters who claim Putin is a thief have taken to the streets in honor of this opposition movement. Mr. Navalny is prominent in Russia politics. Can you explain a little more about who he is and his role? Alexei Navalny is the only opposition leader in Russia and is viewed as President Putin's only serious threat and loudest critic. However, he has not been allowed to appear on any presidential election ballots, and Putin has refused to acknowledge him. Navalny is popular for promoting an anti-corruption platform. His nearly two-hour-long video report on Putin's alleged secret palace has garnered over 113 million views on YouTube. That's a lot of views. Mr. Navalny survived a nerve agent attack in August of last year. When he returned to Russia last month, he was immediately arrested. Although he claims that his attempted murder was ordered by Putin, the Kremlin, Russia's government, has denied any involvement in the poisoning plot. Funnily enough, Mr. Navalny has called Putin, quote, Vladimir, the poisoner of underpants. This is because in a 45-minute call with Kremlin agent Kudryavtsev, Navalny posed as a National Security Council agent and was able to get Kudryavtsev to concede that the Kremlin ordered the poison to be applied to Navalny's underwear. He also mentioned how local transport police in Omsk, Russia, gave his belongings to agents in order to hide all the traces of the poison. Andrew, who is the mastermind behind these events? Vladimir Putin needs no introduction. Born in 1952, Putin began his political career early. During the communist reign over the Soviet Union, he served as an intelligence officer and lieutenant colonel for the KGB, a secret police and security agency. After the fall of the Union, he served in the administration of former President Boris Yeltsin. Putin has served as an executive officer, both as president and prime minister, since 1999. What movements do both politicians represent? Putin's government is backed by the United Russia Party a nationalist and statist party. Currently, it controls 74.66% of the seats in the Russian parliament, demonstrating its strength. Although Putin has a strong apparatus backing him, the opposition remains strong. The opposition has assembled into a party referred to as Russia of the Future. 
However, this party has been unable to register as an official party. The party itself promotes a centrist philosophy and is dedicated to democratic principles. Has anyone from this movement voiced their frustrations in regards to the protest? Yes. Leonid Volkov, the top aide to Mr. Navalny, said, quote, If Putin thinks the most frightening things are behind him, he is very sorely and naively mistaken. Mr. Volkov's quote reflects the sentiments of the many supporters of the movement. These supporters have claimed success and are promising more protests. However, throughout history, the government of Putin has overcome and outlasted opposition protests. Exactly, and there is no reason to believe these protests will have a different outcome. The Kremlin has made it clear that it will not concede defeat, taking it as far as to call these protests a, quote, wave of aggression. Russian leaders also plan to prosecute any protester who appears to be attacking the police. So the domestic response has been to silence and condemn protesters? Exactly. But what about the international stance? Russia is threatening to cut ties with the European Union after the EU showed support for sanctions against them. Foreign Affairs Minister Sergei Lavrov declared, quote, Russia wants peace but is prepared for war. However, since Russia receives 40% of its trade turnout from the EU, it's uncertain whether they will follow through with these threats. Yes, but many other nations have also condemned Russia's actions. That's right. In America, the Biden administration has taken a strong stance against the Putin administration. The State Department released a statement saying, quote, We strongly condemn the use of harsh tactics against protesters and journalists in Russia. I wonder what is in store for Russia and its citizens. Me too, but that's all for today's episode. We would like to thank our researchers Ashutosh Sahai and Ryan Lotridge. And our executive producer Celeste Rosendale. I'm Marlena Furman. And I'm Andrew Thompson. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next Tuesday at 9.